Hey, Dave, what was in the big box you received in the mail yesterday? Oh, that was my box from Alex Key. It had, uh, for King and Country, the new ASL game, and Into the Rubble. Honey, you have thousands, thousands of scenarios you haven't even played. Every new product you buy usually adds 20 more scenarios. You play ASL once a week, so at that rate, it will take you till you are 115 years old to play all that you have now. And you don't think you have a problem? No, I don't have a problem. I think you have a problem. The problem is that you need to start playing more ASL. I'll take on another job so you can quit your job teaching. Then you can play enough ASL to keep up with all the scenarios you keep on getting. Oh, wow, that's great. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, I am kidding you. Welcome to another... Oh, no, we're not supposed to do accents. So we will. Were you doing one? Bonjour, mes amis. Welcome to the Two Half Squads. Achtung. The only podcast in the world dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world. Oh, I think I switched to German. Advance the squad leader. Yeah. Advance the squad leader. <laughs> it is the greatest game in the world. Me amo, Jeff. Hmm. My name, my name is David. Yeah. My name is David. We are your hosts. We are your hosts. And this is uh, episode 59. 59. We've had 58 before this one. That would make sense, yeah. I suppose. And the date today is? The same date as last time, was we're going to cram in two shows. Because we're doing two shows, yeah. We interviewed J.R. Tracy before we recorded the last show, so we have half an hour of material. And we brought stuff here tonight to finish up that we never got to in episode 58 because we were trying to keep it under under an hour, but we did not make it. We didn't. This show should be under an hour. We're we're hoping to make it under an hour. It's going to be tight, fast, flexible. Yeah. Yep. Maneuverable. Yeah. 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 So it's great. So. Good to see you, Dave. Good to see you. Still today. yeah, Yeah, still today. We can pretend like it's a separate day. But, we could. Yeah. Hey, what's the point in it? So, it's fun. What's new? Well, well I guess we won't have any letters this show. There's nothing new. Yeah. Those darn Occupy the two half squads people are yeah, still out there. They're, they're, they're still out there. Yeah, you can hear them. They're start, It's starting to get ugly out there. Yeah, I don't blame them. We should go out and throw candy at them or something. <laughs> Let them eat cake. Yes. <laughs> oh, get so, it. Get it, Marie Antoinette? They were starving, hungry yeah. people, and yeah. eat cake. Okay, yeah. candy. Did she say that? What's the French? Phrase okay, for well they don't really know. Chivalrous, chivalrous, okay. That's that's what it is. Why do you always mock me when I <laughs> speak foreign languages? Well, your French is actually better than your English. Well, of it's, course, it's incredible. Of course. I know. I spent all those years as an orphan, being raised in in the, fan, in the opera house by the Phantom, passed around. Yeah. Um, where were we going with this show? Well, we thought we'd do, uh, we've got an interesting, uh, history report or two. Yeah. Little, little bit, tidbits. No letters at all. Yeah, no letters. And, Kind of um, miss the music, though, don't you? Yeah. Can we just we could, play it? Yeah, you can play fun. it anyway, sure. Bring and, it on, uh, baby. I'll do a book review of a book I read, World War II book. Oh, oh. Uh-huh. Gonna surprise How you. Apropos. It's still behind me over here. And oh. we'll do the J.R. Tracy interview, which is great ASL Interesting interview. And yep. we'll call it a show. Okay. That's it. So, All right. So let's start with uh, take the it his- away, history Jeffrey, report. Yes. Well, I actually have two little interesting history segments today. And you would think that we would, you know, divvy these out across shows, but I get too excited when I come two, upon this stuff. Two mints in one. Yeah, it's two. And uh, so the first one is uh, the reason why this came up is because I was talking to my mom recently, and she reminded me of this. Uh, My mom is 86 or 87 Mm -hmm. now. So, of course, she lived through World War II and uh, was um, in her late teens. 
and early 20s during the war. And so, um, you know, we were talking, and, and she was talking to me about um, the way they used to say the Pledge of Allegiance when she was in school. And the way they said the Pledge of Allegiance was they, they would say the pledge, but they would also have this gesture. And she showed me this gesture. She'd say, we used to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And she she would kind of throw her arm out like uh-huh. in this arc and, and hold her arm up. She said we would be in school. We would hold our arm up as we said the Pledge of Allegiance. And I, I thought that was really strange because... We always say the Pledge of Allegiance with our hand and over our, our heart. heart. Now. Yes, of course. So um, so I actually went and looked this up, and uh, sure enough, I found this Wikipedia article, because that's where all of the information is. It, it's right there. A lot of good stuff there. And this was actually called the Bellamy Salute. So you may not know this, but the Bellamy Salute is the salute described by Francis Bellamy to accompany the American Pledge of Allegiance, which he authored. Oh, back in nineteen something. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what year, but he said during um, when you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you're supposed to hold your hand up in the air at, at this angle, kind it's of an, kind an of like upward something angle. Mussolini would have done. <laughs> it does, it does. Uh, so she did it in in grade school, but this Bellamy salute was was very popular, and that's the way he said a Pledge of Allegiance until. The Italian fascists and the Nazis. Someone else started saying Sieg Heil. Yes. Doing the same salute. Doing the same kind of a salute. And it was it was too similar. And so actually the United States replaced it with the hand over the heart salute. Uh, and it was officially amended to the flag code on December 22nd, 1942. Oh, yeah, the flag code. I teach that when I taught seventh grade. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know I, you're supposed to raise the flag faster than you lower it? How about that? True. It's excited to get up there, and it's sad to come down. Oh, mm-hmm. well, that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. I didn't know there was a flag code. Yeah. Well, it's not law. It's just a code. It's just a code. That's very interesting. So um, I, I just thought that was amazing, and the fact that my mom remembered doing that and told me about that. And she'd actually mentioned that to me a couple of times, and I always thought, you know how it is when mm-hmm. you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, mom, you don't know anything. You don't remember anything. <laughs> well, when You're you so told old. me told me this a little while ago, yeah, didn't quite believe you, and then I looked it up also, and it's true. Yeah. So, are you going to teach that in your classes? Well, or do you want me to come in time. and do a demonstration? <laughs> I could, I could do that. Yeah, we're a little pushed for time, but you know, I could probably sneak that in there. Print out, just print out the picture, even in the yeah, in and the yes, and, and if you look on the Wikipedia page, there's a there's a picture there of a group of school children performing the Bellamy salute. And actually, I asked my mother about it, and um, she did not remember practicing the Bellamy salute. How old is your mom? 81. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So, again, my my mom and dad were even younger, I think, than your mom, right? Yeah, Yeah. five years. Yep, so it was probably gone by the time. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Or, or, Or they don't remember. Correct, could or be. it could be regional too. You know, yeah, it's possible. The way those, it's a, it's a new way and it's a new thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, very fascinating. The Bellamy salute. Um, the next little bit. Now, now this little history bit I came upon today. I stumbled upon this. So I subscribe to this music service called Rhapsody here in the U.S. Uh, and for five dollars a month, I get to stream all the music I want. And sometimes, as I'm getting ready for the two half squads before you come over, I'll put on, I'll go through and I'll, I'll do a search for World War II music. And I find, you know, Bing Crosby stuff and the Andrew sisters and stuff you're used to hearing. That I'm a Bing Crosby. Yeah. Who was that? What was that? That was Bing. What was that? <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> you know, that velvety voice. Come Sounds on. like Dean Crosby. Oh. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Dean. <laughs> Where's Dean? Oh, Dean. They all sound alike. <laughs> That's a Jewish Jerry Lewis. Oh, <laughs> Jewy Lewis, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, can I say that? I no, don't think I, I think can I say that. that. I, I, I got to cut that out. That's, that's terrible. So uh, I, I stumbled upon, and I love this about Rhapsody because they've got so much interesting music. Yeah, it looks I stumbled very good. upon mm-hmm. Charlie and his orchestra. Have you heard of Charlie and his orchestra? No, not Charlie's Angels, but Charlie <laughs> and his orchestra. Hold on a second. All right. 
Yeah, no, and I and I and actually another segment we were going to do is music that Dave games by, which was all my World War Two music. Oh yeah, right? someday we're yeah. going to start talking about the music, and uh, so go ahead. So this is fascinating, and, and I don't know Charlie and the orchestra with the, all my music. Y- you'll love that. You're, you're going to love this. So Charlie, because you haven't heard this, so this is great. Charlie and his orchestra, also referred to as the Templin Band, and Bruno and his Swinging Tigers. And yeah. I'm taking this again from Wikipedia so I can read this. Bruno they and were the a, Swinging Tigers. A, yeah. They were a Nazi-sponsored German Ooh. propaganda swing band. Yikes. Jazz music <laughs> styles were seen by Nazi authorities uh, as, as rebellious. Yeah, that was not cool. They hated modern art. They did. They hated. They had an uh, art show called um, Decadent Art. Right. And uh, it ran and it ran in Chicago here. They reassembled. I wish I'd seen Some it. of the surviving yes. works that they yeah. could get a hold of. Well, yeah. Destroyed, of course. And uh, it was called Decadent Art. I still have the book from the show. Yeah. And I do pass that around in class and talk about uh, Yeah, like they were against the Cubists, right, yep. and the Surrealists mm-hmm. yep. and all those And one schools. of them, like, one of them, uh, one of the abstract painters actually got a job painting camo patterns for the Nazis. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's sad. Well, he had to do something yeah. with art. And, I guess. you know, he, it was at least abstract shape, so. Yeah. So jazz music styles were seen... As rebellious, but ironically, propaganda minister, minister Joseph Goebbels, mm-hmm, Goebbels conceived of using the style in shortwave radio broadcast aimed at the United States and the United Kingdom, and it's it's anti okay anti Churchill anti war sort of propaganda music. So I'm just I'm going to play they put this lyrics whole bit. like on it. I'm going to put, yes, usually what they did was, uh, or often what they did was they would take an existing song, they would play the normal, they would play it normal, Okay. sing the the first verse normal, <laughs> and then as they go into the second verse, they change up the words, <laughs> add their pro- own stuff. Propaganda. To propaganda, to, to downplay the war, to talk about how the British were going to lose or how... Um, the war was just, uh, they, you know, they were catering. The Brits were catering to the Americans and the Jews, you know, and that, and, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. So I'm going to play just one of these songs. If you happen to belong to Rhapsody, they have two whole albums of this music. Whoa. It's, it's absolutely Whoa. engrossing. All right. And uh, I'm going to play this one. And this is a familiar song you'll recognize. Listen to the whole thing. This is only two minutes and 22 second, uh, 26 seconds. I'm going to let it play all the way through.
a good one. Wow. Is that yeah. amazing? <clears throat> yes, it is. I wonder. Whoops. There it is again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. For those of you that weren't listening the first time. I, I wonder how That's many. Amazing. I'm just curious how many of our listeners have ever heard of Charlie and his orchestra. Yeah. And that propaganda. There's, like I say, on Rhapsody, they have two whole albums of his music. And uh, I may buy those. They're 99 cents per song or $10 for the album. I yeah. Think. So I may buy that because that's great stuff. That is a lot amazing. of A lot of great tunes on there. You'll recognize a lot of the tunes and, and the uh, in just about every one, um, it's that same format where they'll play the music and then he'll do a little thing about Churchill or mocking, something that's going mocking on. Mocking yeah. Churchill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty interesting. And I say the word, I noticed, I listened back through some of our other episodes. I say interesting too much, so I'm not going to say interesting anymore. But it is interesting. It's fascinating. Very interesting. But stupid. Yes. So that's our history report for today. Excellent, Jeff. Thanks for sharing that. Actually, it's, it's, uh, yeah, so just kind of do a little mocking thing about, right, they're mocking Churchill there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Begging for help and. Yeah. Well, I have. What do you have? What do you got? I, I, got. I showed you what I you got. got. Yours is pretty good. What do you, you know, got? Mine's pretty good, too. Let's see what you got. I happened to finally finish a book I was reading. Oh. Let me grab it here. Oh, that's made of paper. Unbroken. A World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. Wow. This is Laura Hildebrand, not the one that runs the ass lock. I don't think they're related. I think the last name is spelled differently. I think uh, Brett, his name has a T on the end, I no. believe. <laughs> no, he'll, he's Hill. Oh, oh her, hers Hillen is Brand. Brand. Okay. Helen Brand, author of Seabiscuit. Now, did you read Seabiscuit? No, but I saw the movie. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't Not book. a great movie, but. Oh, you didn't like the movie. I didn't say. What did I say, Dave? Not a great movie. Yes, okay. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks for clarifying that for slow people. Well, you know what? I really enjoyed this book. What's Un- it? What is, what's it about? It tells the story of Mr. Zamperini. Oh, he invented that machine that cleans the ice between <laughs> periods in a hockey no, game. No, 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 no. That's Mr. Zamboni. Oh. All right. Mr. Zamboni. And so Louis Zamperini was, I never heard of him before this book. He was a track star. He had gone to, in the beginning of the book here, it's a little bit too much about his background, I would I would say, for yeah. World War II fans. Yeah. But he, he also was in the Olympics, I forget which year, but he went to Berlin. And it's, it's amazing details about going to Berlin and competing here before the war breaks out. So there's a little reminiscences about experiencing Nazi Germany before the war. 1936, probably, the Olympics. Um, prob- was that with um, Jesse Owens? Jesse Owens, yeah. okay. I thought, yeah, yeah, 36. 36 Olympics. And uh, so, yeah, it just so, so it opens up with his own background. Again, a little too long, but it gets into the traveling to the Olympics and so on. And then... He was an American. American. Mm -hmm. American. And he then, of course, the war breaks out, and he gets into the Air Force, and he's flying planes. The author, Laura Hillenbrand, did a great job of research on this book. It has a nice combination for maybe ASL players of military detail, background information, for example... Uh, the book mentioned dive bombing with a large bomber, which I never heard of before. And then you've um, never heard of a bomber, <laughs> yeah, but not one dive bombing like a oh stuka. dive bomb. Oh, yeah, coming in like a dive bomb. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, in her footnote, is dive bombing was an unusual and unlikely use of a huge bomber. But in the Christmas 1942 wake raid, all of the B 24 crews, including Zamperini's used dive bombing tactics and was ver- as was verified by both Mr. Zamperini and reporters who rode along on the raid. Hmm. Now, so maybe that's a little known fact there. Um, but it looks like she's done a lot of research. Yeah, and it's a big has, plane to be dive bombing. Well, but. it is. And she has um, a lot of footnotes and things. And, of course, it's very well documented in the back. She's a good historical writer. Mm-hmm. What I liked about the book was that a lot of the notes, um, footnotes are at the bottom of the page. 
and the photos are interspersed. See that? That's I love that in a history book. Yeah, because I, they should not be clumped in the center. <laughs> right, I think that's so dumb. You're reading about it right there, yeah, and you're like, oh, I got to flip back over here. Yeah, and so so at least they got the photos interspersed in there with the rest of the stuff. So he goes off and is shot down, of course, and he ends up floating. And that's why the again, title, you know, survival, resilience, mm-hmm. and redemption mm. covers you know his survival in the ocean. And then his surviving the Japanese camps, oh, which is of course brutal, right? And redemption, his coming to faith, and then um, he spoke a lot to a lot of different groups and things. He's been a, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of him before. And it has a wonderful accounts, well, frightening accounts of the whole floating in the ocean thing with the men. You know, you've heard of these things before. Yeah. Uh, quote here from the book. Page 86, sharks soon began circling. One swept in, bit down on Almond's leg, that was a guy, and dove, dragging both men deep underwater. Then something gave way, and the men rose to the surface in a pool of blood. Almond's leg had apparently been torn off. He gave his May West to reading. The May West is the floating uh, vests. Oh, right, yes. And then sank away. And for the next 18 hours, Reading floated alone, kicking at the sharks and hacking at them with his binoculars. And by the time a search boat found him, his legs were slashed and his jaw broken by the fin of a shark. But thanks to Almond, he was alive. Almond, who had died at 21, was nominated for a posthumous Medal for Bravery. Wow. And a footnote, two published accounts of this incident mistakenly identify Reading as the one who was eaten by the shark. Newspaper reports in which Reading was interviewed confirmed that it was Almond, so... Even she gets through some conflicting mm-hmm. reports, it did find as you do historical research. So, and then uh, Zamperini and a few, uh, two guys on his raft, they survive. They're picked up sadly by the Japanese, and then it gets into the whole camp kind of survival story, and it, it is utterly amazing. Um, it characterizes the Japanese as, you know, people, uh, the guards are, some guards are kind, doesn't stereotype at all. Um, and, of course, some are very, very cruel, and particularly one known as the bird. The um, captives devised a plan to kill the bird, finally, this guy that tormented Zamperini in particular. The plan was preparing a bottle of saline solution in glucose to serve as a culture medium. They mixed in stool, stamp, stool samples from two patients infected with amoebic and bacillary dysentery. 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 Thank mm-hmm. you. Tossed in three flies then stored the bottle next to his skin for several days to incubate the pathogens. He and Weinstein delivered it to the POW cook who poured it onto the bird's rice for the better part of a week. The bird is, again, the Japanese guard that's brutal. And to to their amazement, the bird didn't get sick, so the doctors mixed up a new dose using the stools of six ill pows, prisoner wars. This time they hit the jackpot. In two days, the bird was violently ill, completely incapacitated with rocketing diarrhea and 105-degree fever. Weinstein found him in his room crying and whimpering like a child. The bird ordered Weinstein to cure him, and Weinstein gave him what he said were sulfa pills. Suspicious, the bird, the Japanese guy, made Weinstein take some of the pills himself, and Weinstein took them knowing that all that was in them was aspirin and baking soda. The bird lost 15 pounds in a week. And yet he survived to torment them further. So just amazing things like that. Ick. You know, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite ick. a bit, quite a bit of ick and quite a bit of... Is that rocket diarrhea? Um, and it even goes further then to talk about his post-war. So I'm like, okay, end of the war, he's freed. Oh, the book's over. No, and it talks about his struggles with the uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome mm-hmm. and his becoming an alcoholic. Mm. And then his, again, redemption and coming to faith and getting off of alcohol and all that. And before that happened, he had a plan to go kill the bird in Japan, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and without revealing the ends of the book and all, but fascinating book. Whole war story, guy's life, beginning, capture, all the way through. Highly recommended. Good reading. Maybe one prison camp too many. They move them around a lot. Yeah. Um, would be a criticism I have, but like it gets too long in that area. Just in terms of oh, they're moving to another camp. Yeah, but again, the details like that about trying to kill the bird, fascinating reading. Yeah, absolutely, highly recommended. Yeah. Well, thank you. Very good.
I'll put that on my list. How about we now play that interview that we did with uh, J.R. Tracy? Yeah, let's get back to some ASL. Yeah, although this history stuff was good stuff. Good stuff, and, and it's really it's fun knowing the history, thinking about the history as you're playing the game. I think it, you know, it brings it to life. Absolutely. So, uh, little interview that uh, with J.R. Tracy that we did tonight, and um, we'll see you after that. Mm-hmm. Hey. Hey, this is Dave. I I played against you in an ASL Open. Do you remember that years ago? Yes, I do. All right. You know you beat me. Yeah, that was a long time ago, though. <laughs> it was, actually. Yeah, actually, it was quite a long time ago. I think I only remember because I had your name written in my little record sheet, you know, of yeah. opponents that I've played. I have all mine written down as well. All right. A man after my own heart. Absolutely. Okay, you guys are really weird. <laughs> yeah, you know. Part of the fun of the game, you know. It's uh, it's not a hobby unless there's an OCD element to it. Yeah. Do you, ha- do you, do you hang out with a lot of other weirdos? <laughs> well, <laughs> you've seen the crowd. Yes, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> no, we, see, we've seen weirder crowds yeah. at like uh, sci-fi conventions and D and D things. So, I went to my very first. Uh, I went to the New York Comic Con just because someone got me a pass, and I have to say. I was at once uh, enthralled and horrified. I mean, I thought, these are my people. And then it's like, oh, my God, these are my people. (laughs) It's disturbing. Yes, it is. Well, everybody's wondering why we're calling J.R. Tracy. Uh, Have you designed any scenarios? I have not. Uh, You know, it's it's one of the things that, uh, you know, you try to get back to this hobby in any way you can. And I've always wanted to design a scenario. I've just... The one thing I've never got myself, uh, I've never produced something to completion. Uh, a lot of ideas, never anything, uh, you know, submitted that uh, is worth uh, is worth the time to play test yet. <laughs> well, then, uh, do you work for MMP? I do not. I do not. I do. <laughs> well, I do a lot. Of, why did we call you, JR? <laughs> Good point. Yes. Why did you call? Well, why I just thought it'd be nice to interview the average guy in the hobby. And, yeah. uh, and, of course, you went somewhere that Jeff and I did not go this year. Which is? Aslock. Oh, that's right. You guys weren't there this year. No. no. So we were wondering if you could tell us about it. It was actually uh, it was a good time. Um, normally, I usually go out with uh, Steve Pleva, and we drive out, and we do the Crowfots and try to win the plaque and all that. And this year, we decided to do something different. We both had gotten kind of burnt out on the the Grofots competition. It's always enjoyable, but it's a bit of a grind and you can't really choose your opponents. So this year we went out early. We went out the first weekend and stayed till the middle of the week instead of arriving in the middle of the week and staying through the end. And it was great. We got to play, you know, the Europeans and you know, some Americans and folks, you know, we got to just play for fun and play for last, do a little bit for the World Cup and it was actually a completely different Aslock vibe. It was uh, it was a delight. I mean, I have to say, I'm I'm glad I did it. I probably won't do it next year for a few years, but it was really neat to see that end of Aslock, which I never experienced before. Oh, you mean next year you'll, you'll go back to competing hard? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, but uh, but it, it was fun. You know, I played uh, you know, played a lot of friends. I played some guys I hadn't played in like ten years. Played some new people. It was uh, it was a good time. How were the numbers this year? I think they were pretty good. Uh, you know, Brett was posting periodically. I think they were, uh, I thought he said this was as good as it's been since, uh, I think that the high the high watermark was the 20th Aslock, but this was as good as any year besides that one. I think uh, the 20th topped 200, I'm not sure. Wow. So good, good numbers, good crowd. Um, the foreign players tend to come and, different cycles and uh this is yeah. an off year this is an off year for the for the australians last year i think they had a at least 10 if not more um, right. aussies and, and kiwis came up um yeah. whereas this year i don't think there's more than one if, if even one yeah because jeff and i snagged a couple of good interviews last right year. Yeah, david longworth and some others i'm sure yes right 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 we should have announced that we weren't going to be there. There may have been a better turnout. <laughs> That's right. Could be could yeah. be people stayed away in droves. 
Yeah, uh, a little afraid of having a microphone just in front of them. Yes, and our our constant harassing. That's right. That's yeah. right. But uh, no, it was it was a great experience this year, and uh, you know, sorry you couldn't make it. But um, and who from MMP was there? Any notable dignitaries? Um, I'm not sure. I believe Chaz showed up. Uh, Chaz mm-hmm. Argent came. We left on Wednesday, and I think Chaz arrived on Wednesday. So we we left early in the morning. So uh, so I missed him. Oh, I see. Um, they usually try to have somebody there. You know, Perry makes it out once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chaz is is a more regular attendee. Um, I don't think Brian's been for some time. Yeah, I don't think Brian was when we were there. No. no. Well, we got a good we. Man, we hit it right. Jeff. We hit it right. We, we got lucky, good, actually. Yeah. yeah, last year was a pretty good crew. We had yeah. a good crowd. So if we went again, we wouldn't always snag as many great interviews. Right. So. Right. You guys were set up out there by the bar. That's right, close to the bar. <laughs> yes. As fate would have it, and a little luck and some finagling and moving some furniture, we got close to the bar. <laughs> we kind of yeah, pushed our way <laughs> in. And, you know, our goal is to interview actually every ASL player in the world before the show runs out of steam. So, yeah, it looks like I think you have, uh, I think you can probably fill a few more, a few more tapes. The, um, the site that, that Brett's picked up, this new hotel is, is terrific. Oh, uh, if it, 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 well, the, the downside is that you might get a little crowded towards the end of the week, but the space is so much better. Um, I don't, were you guys ever at the old hotel? No, no. Uh, they, they actually literally had holes dug in the dirt in the in the ground floor of the hotel. I mean, you had to make your way past entrenchments to get to the uh, <laughs> to get to the uh, rooms we were playing in. Uh, it, it was basically a property that was passed down from chain to chain with with no upgrades until I think it finally fell out of the uh, bottom of the hotel system. It's probably now some sort of rehabilitation center or something. Like that. <laughs> That's where we'll be someday, Jeff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I'd rather uh, stay in a nicer one. But yeah. yeah well, we the, the, yeah, the facility was nice last year, definitely. Yeah, that top floor is a lot of light, and uh, you know, at, at my age, I need I need a little extra light to just be able to see those counters. You know, <laughs> I hate to admit it, but now, we trying to pick out. Last year, there was a, I think it was one floor up. There was a special room for smokers. Yes. Was that? Did you go up there? I did not. There's always a, there's always a smoking room. I think they call it the smoking wreck. Right. Um, I I have played in it in years past. Uh, I gotta say I don't have a high tolerance for cigarette smoke in the uh. best of circumstances. When I'm playing a game, it, uh, I'm not looking for it. But uh, if you want to play Mudge late at night, Pete Mudge or someone like that, you're gonna have to put up a little cigarette oh, smoke. Though. Yeah. <laughs> His name so fits a smoker. Yes, Something there's a few. It. Yeah, Tom Stefanovich uh, smokes, I think, and there's a couple others. The Gennards. I would have to come home and um, air out my counters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not. Uh, I, I don't think I'd take my set in there, frankly. I'll happily play with their set, but I don't think I'd bring mine in. So, did you have some uh, memorable moments as far as uh, scenario encounters? I did. Uh, well, I played. A, you know, Daryl Wrights uh, has been a good friend for years through through ASL, but he and I haven't played. Uh, he's one of the people I haven't played for ages. We used to play every year, but I haven't played him for like ten years. But um, managed to play him, which was which was good and fun. I played uh, Dave Ramsey from the UK. Dave has a nice blog mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that he maintains, and he and I played a a terrific game. That was probably my most memorable game. Um, I'm sure it was memorable for Dave as well, but for pretty much the opposite reasons. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. We played Fiery Finale. I think that's a, I think it's a friendly fire scenario. I'm not sure. And you won? I did, and mm-hmm. I probably had no right to win. But that's what makes it memorable. So, <laughs> so how, do you <laughs> account, how do you account for oh. that? Were, were you rolling particularly well, or um, was Dave uh, uh, drunk uh, or otherwise <laughs> incapacitated? No, we just had our we had our different bits of luck at the you know he had his luck early I had mine late uh, it's actually a square punk scenario I think okay um, I think I had the favorite side which is the Germans but uh, this is one where the Russians um, are kind of a, they're, they're trying to crush a a group of Germans which is 
four King Tigers with some really good infantry, and the Russians have their pieces too. They have uh, a lot of good infantry of their own and some vehicles, but David managed to kill all of my vehicles, and uh, pretty much with, with all his King Tigers still alive, and so I was in a bad way. Yeah. But I managed to take capture one of his tanks and capture his Panzer Shrek and kill the rest of his vehicles and... Oh, you're kidding me. Wow. <laughs> no, it was, uh, like I say, everything everything broke my way at the end. And it was, uh, and uh, to Dave's credit, he bore it all in good spirits. <laughs> wow. I was feeling like awful. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening like this. But it, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, like I say, you know, he, he's just such a good egg that sometimes when luck's going your way, it's, it's very, very awkward because it's clear your, your opponent is, is uh, getting a little bent out of shape. And it's uncomfortable for everybody, but in this case, Dave, uh, like I say, he was he was a prince, and he 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 watched it all just you know go pear shaped in front of him. But uh, he still managed to enjoy himself. So I have to, you know, hats off to him for that. But so you know, that that was especially memorable, and and also I think just walking around and seeing what was going on. Some guys played. Have you seen the Saint Nazaire historical? Uh, yeah, module the, put out. Oh yeah, yeah, we we have it. Well, I bought it. Um, Holmstrom bought it. We all bought it when it first. Uh, I think Alex Key brought it down here to the open, and like we all grabbed a copy. And Joe and um, I have not played them yet. Though. You know, it sits there on the shelf with all the other unplayed stuff right now. But yeah, it's got the boat counters and everything. Oh yeah, I think a, a couple guys were playing. Uh, were playing the opening scenario with the Campbelltown hitting the, uh, you know, hitting like the, the lock and all that. Yeah, the and they they were having a ton of fun with it. And it really looked it looked fantastic out on the table, and it's always fun to see somebody and make the effort to play one of these big spectacular scenarios. Um, in years past, I've seen guys like do the last bid and stuff like that, and it's just just the, the sprawling spectacle of it all is just uh, it's good to see. And we all we all dream of being able to lay something out like that, but it's it's a big commitment, and, uh, and at least vicariously you can enjoy it when somebody else gives it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, the, the last bid is one that I had skipped from the original games and uh, the first bid, and for those reasons. But I was thinking, kick one over here to Jeff's house tonight. I'm, I think I'm ready for something bigger. That I got to talk someone into playing it where we can meet. Well, how many times do you think it would take to play the last bid? Four meetings, six meetings. Last bid, I think is probably. I mean, I don't know how how fast you guys play, but uh, you know, big. Red barricades. If you're getting two turns done in a night, you're you're rocking along um, because it, they are just so big. Although that really is more of a scenario than than a full campaign sprawl. Correct. So it's got it's got so many pieces. Yeah, lots and lots of pieces. But so maybe four sessions, five sessions of like you know five hours a piece, you might get through it. Yeah, because lately I've been just playing a lot of the little you know one night, week night kind of things. If we live next door to each other. You know, or, or, it, or, or practically, well, it's still practically it, do. It, it's still, yeah. But if you could walk over and just do one turn, right, and walk back home and go to bed, that would be the thing. <laughs> so oh, it would be. You, how, how far do you go to play, Jr. When you around about uh, twenty, about twenty-five feet. Oh, really? I have that. Yeah, I actually host uh, our local crew every Tuesday night. Oh, every every week, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's nice. Now it's not ASL every night, every Tuesday, but. Uh, I try to play once a month if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I get in two games a month, but there are sometimes many weeks will pass before I can play ASL. Um, it's really, I, as a host, I kind of have to make sure that the everyone has a game they want to play, and so I try to play the role of swingman. If they've got like an extra seat to make a multiplayer game work, I'll step in, things like that. But, uh, you know, I try to get my ASL when I can. I've got, I've got a game up right now that I'm playing. Um, which is, you know, halfway through a scenario. <clears throat> but um, it, I'm just fortunate to be able to, to host because it's a lot easier on the on the home front if uh, I'm not far away. I've got a couple kids, so it's it's good to be nearby in case anything comes up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so you host, uh, is it a wargaming group that you host? It is. Wargaming and uh, a lot of Euro games get played. We have uh, two or three people who play Euros exclusively, mm-hmm. uh, two or three people who play war games exclusively, and then another you know, 15 to 20 that will play either. Um, so it really depends on what the flavor of the night might be. Like last week, it was, 
Do you live in a gymnasium or something? <laughs> no, we've got a loft here. Um, I live in Chelsea, and we've got a, a full floor in a building, so we have a little extra room for being oh, able to play. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's spectacular. I mean, last week it was ASL, Here I Stand, which is um, a game on the Reformation uh, from GMT. And, uh, yeah, it's been popular game. around yeah. here with a couple of our friends, Bob yeah. and Holmstrom and people like that. Ritz oh, yeah, Bob, right. And what was the third? Oh, um, History of the World. It's played. Mm. So that, that's a typical night, a war game, kind of a crossover you know, multiplayer, and then a, a more Euro-y type uh, war game. So it's, it's, it's a good group. It's a good group. But one thing I, I wanted to talk about that you touched on earlier was, like, the size of scenarios. Uh, like you said, I mean, you, they have, for a while there, it seemed like every scenario pack that came out was – was five big. and a half turns, six turns, you know, something oh. you can play in an evening. Oh, the uh, well, that was like the um, not the original games though, right? Oh, the original games were way long. I mean, it, well, you, the evolution in the original games, it was, they were all ten turns. They were way too long. Right, and I used to basically play them all. I can't, remember, I can't believe how I did that. I think I, we 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 cheated enough rules or didn't know enough of the rules that they went faster. Right, <laughs> right. But like you know, twenty squads on a side and ten turns and eight vehicles and right. OBA and it's like, how in the world did anybody have time to play it? Oh, that's right, we were seventeen years old. But now it's uh, you know, the people have different time constraints. But I'm happy to see in these latest action packs and like the stuff that uh, Bounding Fire puts out and you know, MMP and the, and the third parties are finally putting out bigger stuff again. And you can't play them all the time, but you do want to at least have the option of playing some. Uh-huh. It's also big, and it's not just a little tournament-sized scenario. Yeah. So it's something. Yeah, that's I'm definitely great. true. And some people, uh, even though they don't play them, they still like to have them. They exactly. like the fact that somebody's made them, and they like to look at them and dream about them, and maybe even set them up and then take them down. I have a, a friend of mine is a, a Civil War gamer, um, but he never plays. He never plays anybody. Oh. He, he takes everything out and he looks at it and he reads the the manuals and. And puts it all back in the boxes and puts it away, and that's that's enough for him. But I agree. Yeah. I like looking at the big stuff. It's fun. It is good, and uh, oh, I I think part of the at least for MMP, I know Gary Fortenberry loves big fort big scenarios, and since he's doing a lot of the action pack stuff, I mean, you can see his influence there and the size of uh, you know just some big meaty stuff, and that, that's good to see. Whereas I think the journal kind of has a, a broader spectrum of light fast tournament type stuff to a few heavy titles too that's good now dave uh admittedly plays everything sort of in chronological and numeric order as much as he can and wow. to get through everything yeah he's he's pretty uh extreme that way do you yeah, have any- and i'm actually stuck on a big scenario it's another reason i was thinking of playing one soon because i keep having to skip it because i talk to people hey this might take two or three times do you want to do this one? Oh no let's just do a short one okay Let's just do a short one. Okay. So. Which which one are you hung up on? You know, I I actually thought of writing, writing it down, but I did not. It's uh. Yeah, no, I know I couldn't tell you, but um, it's the journal before this one. The journal before the latest one. Okay. Because it went kind of short, 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 and then suddenly there was this bigger one again. Oh, so you're playing them. So you're playing them in uh, numbered order, not not. Well, no, or- I, no. I just want to finish the whole journal before I start the next journal. Right. Okay. Although that hasn't happened because I have a few of the big ones left, and I needed to play a few of the small ones on our uh, Thursday night club. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I can respect that. I mean, there has to be a method to the madness. I, I have can't say I'm not that organized. I just uh, I play what catches my eye. The only rule I have is that it, at Aslock, I always try to play brand new stuff. I never want to play anything I've seen before when I'm at Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't play, you don't practice all the scenarios that are. Oh, at Oktoberfest, it's open gaming, right? Well, everyone picks their own scenario. I mean, yeah, you, you, you just list. But I figure it, you know it's it's new stuff. It's it's an even playing field in, in the sense that nobody's you know neither you nor your opponent has a. Uh, Played it, and you know sometimes you step on a landmine, and it's like, oh well, I guess that side wasn't favored, but uh, or sometimes it breaks your way. But generally speaking, it's a it's a good fresh experience that way. And do you have um, scenarios that you lean toward certain kinds, or, or things you'll avoid? Like, do you avoid uh, night, or do you avoid, you know, 
PG not really. I, I like it all. I mean, I, I, I definitely enjoy night. I used to do the night mini when I can at, at ASLOC, um, although it always seems to be filled up by the time I register. But I love night. I love PTO. My favorite scenarios are probably early war. Um, I like terrible, you know, crappy infantry and tin can tanks. That'd probably my, be my first choice, but, uh, and PTO is, is right up there with it in terms of what I most like to play. But uh, no, I'll, I'll play anything, beach landings and night, pair of drops, gliders. Yeah, that's what I've done too. Now, um, I had a question about the night rules because we're going to do a show on it, and I was teaching Jeff uh, okay. last week. And suddenly, I had read something that struck me as really odd. So, if I, if do you remember, if we, set, if you set up a squad concealed, they can be in open ground, right? Mm-hmm. At night, right. And when the guy comes in line of sight, they're not revealed, correct? For any reason? Uh, no, no, you, you, you don't lose. Even in, in a regular scenario, if you're in open ground and somebody turns a corner, you don't lose concealment. Okay, correct, which always strikes me as weird. But Yes, it does. It's like, what is that? I can't quite tell. I can't quite make it out. One of those lumps <laughs> hugging the ground out there. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so so literally, if, if I'm hidden initial placed at night, right. not that I did this, Jeff, in the game that we're playing no, right sure. now. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting out in the open ground, and Jeff moves... In night visibility range, but there's no illumination. I just stay hip, right? I believe so. Now the only question, uh, well, yes, you would because at night you don't have to be hip in concealment range. You can be anywhere. Right. So I'm sitting there in the open. Not that I did this, Jeff. No, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> so don't Strictly go hypothetically, don't go searching all the open ground hexes around. Right. Here. Right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so I wasn't actually sure if I could or not. So yeah, you. No, you're good. That is amazing to me. Well, I gotta say, Knight gets a bad rap of being like overly oh. complex. It is no, really, it's, yeah, yeah. It's no. clean. I'm sorry. Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> I was gonna say it's, it's very clean and tight. Um, J.R. Van Mecklen wrote a great article for Backblast, which I think was reprinted in either an annual or a journal. Oh, I have all the old Backblasts. I think Take Back the Night. I'm not sure what his what the name of the article was, but I'll, yeah, I'll go look through. But he walks you through it and just demystifies night because really you know it just it just works it's really clean there's nothing intimidating about it and it is such a unique experience i mean it really is a departure from you know day-to-day asl but not so much that it's 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 not so unfamiliar that, that you get lost i mean I, I just wish more people would give it a try yeah now jeff is just learning it did you find that it's not crazy it's not as bad as i thought it was some of it is pretty intuitive, really. Right. Um, I get hung up on some things like that, you know, the hip thing out in the open. And yeah. I'm still, we haven't done enough uh, enough star shells for me right. to really have that down, knowing how that's going to work. So, uh, so I'm still a little slow on that. But and, and I'm, we're only halfway through my first night scenario, so... And I'm well, just now getting into close engagement. He's yeah. now getting to the buildings he's got to get into. Um, but, yeah, I found, too, that it moved really quickly when we're all concealed and cloaked. Yes. You know, because your defender's not moving much, and the attacker's moving pretty quickly. Yeah, the, the defender's holding his breath while, we, <laughs> while the attacker approaches, yes. Now, I've had... Uh, I really enjoy it. And it, it is a little dicey because there's just a few more random strangeness that can go on. Oh, like the jitter fire and... And the, and the uh, strain. Strain, yeah, which hasn't hit us because we've got a lot of roads. and. Yeah, I lost a, a tournament final because all I had to do was walk into a building. Oh, no. But uh, I strayed. I had two different squads. Two different squads. All I had to do was just, like, walk to a building. There was no defender left on the map. <laughs> And both of them strayed. Like, you've got to be kidding me. But, you know, that's night. It's, it is night. There should, just be got some, lost. there should be some getting lost. That's right. And I think I think one thing we're finding is that the people who like Fog of War, yes. right, they would love night. Right. There's much more concealment, much more uh, this cloaking thing. Where mm-hmm. these listeners haven't played night, you, get, you can place your units on a... That sheet that has A, B, C, D, right. K, and then you... The cloaking, right, right. The, yeah. the, the um, one one concealment counter can represent a whole stack, and you don't know what's in it, or right. it can represent nothing. So it's much more fog of war. 
Yeah, there's a couple PTO. Is it first bonsai? Shooting Ridge. There's a couple of very mm-hmm. good PTO night scenarios. And boy, mm-hmm. the, the Japanese at night, you can you can see why those Marines were sweating in their foxholes because you know uh, the Japanese. It, you, the Americans lose their superior firepower, and the Japanese are right on top of you. And it really has a, a very evocative. You know, it's a great narrative uh, feel to it. You know, you really have a sense of of you know what you've read about in the accounts when they when they come bursting out of the jungle, um, catch you by surprise. The other thing about night is one thing ASL lacks is is the sense of command control. You really do have you're an omnipotent commander for the most part. I mean, everybody does what you tell them to unless they're broken. But at night, with the whole, you know, no move, freedom of movement thing, you really do feel helpless at the, at the, as a defender if you have an attacker who knows what he's doing. Because he's very careful in making sure he just doesn't switch your guys on and tiptoeing through and infiltrating. It, fits, it has a great tension to it. Yeah, they're not allowed to move until they see an enemy or they um, uh, the best leader can roll to move, right? And then he can go and, like, wake everybody up. Well, he doesn't wake them up. They're not sleeping, I hope. Right, right. But I think but even they're even to stay put. Yeah, I think there even has to be a, a, a shot fired for the leader to start turning people on. So yeah, that, yeah, we just did that. Well, I think that's true. Maybe we did it wrong. <laughs> no, no, well, I no, think well, we no, yeah. we did that. I we couldn't start until something happened. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. The the attacker has to make an attack. The, the scenario attacker must must have uh, must have uh, pulled the trigger somehow. Either. Um, you know, an IFT shot or a close combat attack. Yeah, we're playing the night game from the Ian Daglish uh, Hedrill. Stuff. Oh, okay, actually, great. It's actually, great. that scenario's by um, um, Schelling? Pete Schelling? Pete Schelling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That by Pete. Yeah, Pete's good people. He uh, he does some really innovative ideas. He's been designing scenarios for a long time, and yet he, they, they remain fresh. I mean, he really keeps coming up with uh, interesting ideas. I mean, he tends to have these variable order of battles that where it gives you a little choice and gives you a, a base order battle and then you say, well, pick one of these two groups and they're usually some some tough decisions to be made and I like that. It's neat. I think every scenario should have some difficult choices, I mean, from a resource management standpoint. Yeah, although sometimes I hate those difficult choices. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have a laid out for me. I know, I know. So sometimes they kind of do, or there'll be a hint in the uh, there'll be a hint in the SSRs where they'll say, you know, the defender can deploy up to eight half squads. It's like I think they're kind of telling me I should deploy should up deploy. to eight. <laughs> yeah. So give you a little clue now and then. So how long have you been gaming? Gaming since I was probably ten years old. So um, I'm now forty nine. So I guess it's thirty nine years. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what did you start with? What did you cut your teeth on? Uh, the very first game I played was Panzer Blitz. Wow. And then uh, my folks got me a, a subscription to SNT. So I guess my second game, I think, was Winter War. Oh, is that the Finns? Yeah, with the Finns. And then Year of the Rat. And I remember I played Year of the Rat quite a bit. And who were you playing back in those days? Uh, I initially solitaire, and then in junior high, I met a couple guys that also played games. And then through junior high, I think we played like a ton of like Russian campaign. Um, Alexander, uh, Starship Trooper is Rick Coffin's War. A lot of Avalon Hill titles. My friend was was a complete Avalon Hill snob. He would not touch my SPI stuff. So you know, I I always liked my SPI games, but uh, he wanted to only play Avalon Hill. So that's what we played for the most part. And then I sold all my games to go to college, played a tiny bit in college, and then after I was working for a while, I started buying games back again and got back into the hobby. Actually, out your way, I got back into the hobby uh, with the Windy City crowd. Did you just commit, oh. did you commit a crime or something? I hear a police siren. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, I'm sure my parole officer will be a little upset. But <laughs> that's that's why I don't... prison. There's plenty of time to game. Yes, exactly, exactly. I don't even notice anymore the sirens. But uh, I don't know if do you know Louis Tokar is out there. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I answered an ad in the Windy in the journal about the uh, or the uh, the general for Windy City War Games when I lived in Chicago, and that's oh, how I got okay. got back in touch with the hobby. And the rest is history, I guess. So, how long have you been in New York? 
uh, off and on. I was here 87 through 90. Then I was out in Chicago for maybe a, you know part time for about a year and a half, and then uh, moved overseas for a while. Then came back to New York in 95. Okay. Or 96, I guess, and I've been here ever since. You, you've got a pretty uh, good crowd coming there weekly. Did you recruit a bunch of those, or are those all war gamers that have found you? Uh, initially, it was a small core of ASL players that I knew because when I lived overseas, I used to come back and go to uh, Avalon Con, Don Con, and I met a couple people there. And then while I was overseas, I was that's when I first started playing ASL. Um, I started coming back for the ASL events, and that's where I met some people. So it was really the ASL crew was the, the first people I made contact with. Uh, Steve Pleba, um, uh, Ray Tapio, Rob Sibowitz, Dr. Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the, the local crew that I started playing, and then it kind of grew from there. Mike Puccio was another fellow that uh, out on Long Island. Chris Cavanaugh, some of these guys have left. They've actually left ASL and have come back in the last couple of years and started playing again. Pooch and, uh, and Chris Kavanaugh. And from there, we just met more and more people, and the group just, and people started hearing about it, and the group got a little bit bigger. You know, every year, a couple more names got added. We probably have maybe 30 people who attend at you know, two or three times a year, of whom a dozen show up you know, every, you know, every other week or so. I have a, you know, a very regular set of maybe 12 to 15 people, and, and you know, like I say, another couple couple dozen who come and go. And then we have a lot of people from overseas. You know, there's some Australians who come up every every other year. They always stay here for, for a couple of weeks before and after Oktoberfest. There's a couple couple of Danes that come through when, when they're in New York on business. I always see them, a couple of Germans. We've had a Chinese guy come through. There's a guy from Singapore that's going to come through on Thanksgiving. Um, Nobody comes to see Jeff and I. The what? Nobody comes to see Jeff and I. Oh, you guys, you know, you just got to hang your shingle out. You know, people, people will find you. People I guess because, so, I, I mean, we interviewed Ian, and he, he said, yeah, he had stayed with some other people in Chicago. And, um, I, and I mentioned this to my wife, and she's like, well, maybe we could go travel to take the whole family. Will they let us stay with them on our vacations? <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yes, you have to play ASL. <laughs> I don't know about that, honey. We we need to get the word out because I'd like to get some of those dames over here. You said you have dames coming. We could, Dave and I love dames. Well, you guys should come out to New York and uh, check it out. Come out some Tuesday night. Oh, blondes. (laughs) Tuesday nights, yeah. We could. We could catch one of those shuttles. Well, if you fit it in the the vacation and then you'd stay at the hotel (laughs) with the family and then you go to a Broadway show on Sunday night and then Tuesday, you just. Sneak out of the uh, hotel room for an evening. Let me get my wallet. I'll give you two thousand dollars. You can go do that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, um, did you want to talk about people encourage players to contribute to the hobby at all? Well, that was something that, that we touched on when we first started talking. I mean, there, there's different ways to get back to the hobby. I mean, we're, we're joking about you know, not designing scenarios. <laughs> That's something I, I clearly haven't done, but. Uh, but I do try to do what I can do, like playtesting. I, I try to proofread when I can. Um, I like to write some articles. I mean, articles are the most satisfying. Because well, it's, yeah, you have written some, haven't you? Yeah, here and there. You know, every couple of years I manage to get one into a journal, I think. I'm not especially prolific. Uh, I do enjoy it, but real life just seems to intervene at every every turn. Um but it's it is satisfying because people really work hard. It, it, it's a hobby. No one's no one's in this for the money. I mean, the MMP guys, and it's a labor of love for them. If they, if they think they're going to get rich off this, that they're nuts, and they, they certainly know the reality of it. And what makes it work is that people contribute, and the more people that do contribute, the more stuff that gets done. Uh, yeah, that's um, true. And, um, and then, what articles had you written offhand? I, I think you did a series replay. Is that... I've done a few series replays. I did one. Um, I did a Scouts Out series replay. Uh-huh. Uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, that was actually with Chris Cavanaugh. And then Paul Sidhu and I did, uh, I don't remember the name of the scenario, but it was it was a, a hedgerow scenario, and he just kicked my teeth in. It was it was pretty awful. Uh, it was a pretty terrible game, but I think we did at least illustrate the, the principles of, of uh, hedgerow and wall advantage, which was the intent. But from a personal pride standpoint, that was a butt-kicking. 
Well, um, you know, showing them how not to do it. You, you did it on purpose. I think how not to do it is don't pick the Germans in the scenario we played. <laughs> but uh, especially against somebody like Paul. Paul and actually, actually was a, we were college roommates and, and met each other again through ASL, which is well, kind of funny. Jeff and I try and contribute with this show, but people keep telling us to stop. I think the show's great because I've listened to a few episodes and it's it's neat. You know, you hear you get other people's perspectives. You know, like Brett Hildebrand, he's he, you know, helping run Oktoberfest, and he's like the latest in a string of guys that have done that. That's that's a fantastic contribution. I mean, yes, yeah, it really just it, it renews your spirit you know, just to go out there. Really yeah, you have a place like that. So many people can all go. It's it's a good thing. But yeah, I think uh, I think there's always room for more contributions. I mean, if you get in touch with somebody like Chaz, or if you're bent as more of third-party guys, you know, the bounding fire guys, the friendly fire guys, or everybody's always looking for a play tester. Um, the you know, dispatches from the bunker, New England fellows. Again, if you if you want to contribute, there's certainly plenty of scope for in a lot of different ways to do it. Yeah, definitely. So do you see that? Do you have any uh, wild predictions about the hobby over the next 10 years? Is it going to go the way of newspapers and uh, bookstores? Or I, I don't think so in the sense that I think there's enough critical mass to, to keep it going, um, even though we are aging. And I do see younger guys every year. There's you know, two or three more younger guys or at least new guys. Um, in our local group, we have three new players who played in the last year and they're all quite good. Um, they started out in starter kits and now they're entering the ASL. One guy, Scott Muldoon just made the plunge and, and bought an entire ASL set. And he, he sent me an email and said, Oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> it's like, there's no, there's no turning back now, but, but you know, he's committed. I mean, once, once the hook is set, it's not for everybody, but I tell you, you know, it, when people discover it, or if when it discovers them, that it really does just seize you, and with the passion, it's just you know, irresistible. So, I mean, our look, like I said, our look group is you know three stronger than it was last year. So, I don't think uh, I think the numbers will, will be there for some time to come. Um, and I think the products themselves are getting more interesting and more professionally produced. Uh, you know, there's a, a level of sophistication in these in these campaign games, you know, whether it's put out by NMP or the other guys that you just didn't see before. Um, you go back and the, the holes in, in red barricades are gaping relative to what what's uh, how tight the, the newer campaigns look. Uh, so I, I think it's the hobby has a future. There's certainly be plenty of ASL as long as I'm going to be walking the earth. Uh, I can't make any predictions for 50 years from now, but I think over the next 10 or 20 years. I think it's going to be as vibrant as it is today. I run a miniatures club at my school, and I consistently get, you know, 6 to 12 students every year that are really in, have a great time playing uh, miniatures games. Great. And, you know, ASL with them, I, I had done it for a little while and then um, asked if MMP that if they'd make me a counter, I would continue to teach all these young people the game. And <laughs> back then, it didn't work that way, so I quit playing it with them. And now, I maybe they made a Klein and a Schmidt counter. Really? Which yes, and one of the star kits, which supposedly is me. So that's uh, great. Two counters. That's <laughs> so pretty they, sweet. That means I need to start teaching the the kids ASL again. No, that, that, that that's great. So. I mean, well, again, well, there you look at miniatures. Remember, miniatures 20 years ago, miniatures was dead, or well, maybe it wasn't. You know, because um, they, they the hobby has been predicted to to be doomed to you know constantly that, that since the day I got involved. I remember Dungeon Dragons was going to kill board yeah. war gaming. I mean, there's always something around the corner that's going to create our demise. But yeah, here we are, you know, and uh, still enjoying it. Yeah, and more games than ever. More games than ever coming out every year. Yeah, now part of it, I think, is I think as as we age, as our population ages, you know, we have more disposable income, so we can afford games that we don't play. Right. But right. Uh, but I, you know, my ASL my ASL kit is certainly getting a workout. Uh, not every game I buy gets played, but this one sure as heck is. Yeah. Well, do you have anything last words you'd like to share with the audience? No, I just uh, you know I just hope everybody just takes time to. 
find an opponent. I know a lot of people have ASL kit that uh, don't crack it open and for lack of an opponent or you know just lack of uh, lack of time. I think with Vasil as great a tool as it is today and with these tournament the tournament scene being what it is, um, I think you should seek it out, find someone, sit down and play a game. Even if you're not comfortable with the rules, I think if you find a, an experienced opponent with a little bit of patience, you know, you, you can get down the road to enjoying it as much as you know we have all these years. All right. Well, that's uh, good advice, and we hope everybody will make a little effort. Heed that advice. Yes, heed that advice. So thanks, to JR, for joining us. We appreciate it. Well, thank thanks. you. I enjoyed nice it. Talking Take to care. You. All right. Good night. Take yeah. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, J.R. Tracy. Yep, good stuff, Maynard. Yeah. Well, call it a night, Jeffrey. Let's call it a night. That was that was good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We have got lots and lots of good stuff coming up in future shows. So Including night. Oh, night rules. And then gliders. Gliders. Pacific. Pacific. Terrain time. Terrain time. Got more history reports. We've got... Uh, uh, little reports about um, different AFVs. And little more details interviews. Here that. More inter- lots more interviews coming up. We're going to hope to interview the Ken Katz, I believe his name is, that's doing the Korean yep. pa- um, game. Yeah, that's and coming up pretty soon. And got another contest coming up. And yeah, we have to think of what that'll be. <laughs> yeah, oh, and I already know what it's going to be. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Surprise me next time. So a uh, lot of good stuff coming up, folks. Please stay with us. Thanks and for listening. Until next time. Roll low. And rally really, really well. But, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. Because we wouldn't like that. Oh, we'd be so sad. Farewell. Bye, everybody. Yeah, Jr. quite a bit. Yeah, interesting guy. Yeah, regular guy. Oh, like a regular guy. Force guy. Astonishing that he gets that many players every week. He's got that much room. Yeah. I thought he said he looked in the